The reading this morning is taken from Genesis 29, 1 to 30. Jacob arrives in Padan Aram. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then G Jacob asked them, Is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to the pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, You are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, you should work for me for nothing. Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, 
What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bela to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah and he worked for Laban another seven years. Thanks, Lendl. Morning, everyone. Story makes sense, doesn't it? It's pretty clear. Just closing prayer, eh? Um, it's nice to have my daughter Kate with us this morning, and particularly as I'm going to talk about a father and his daughters, and how the daughters were very obedient to their father. <coughs> God's providence. And little Marnie, you may have seen her exit. She was in church for about 90 seconds this morning, which is about average for her. We picked them up yesterday, and so it's been delightful. So I'm not sure exactly what I'll be saying this morning, because she got to my sermon notes yesterday, and at some point rearranged them. So we'll see what happens. Congratulations to Mark and Coralie Lowe. Where are they? Are they here this morning? They're normally here. Yeah, that'd be right. Today I announce it. They have a new little grandson, Timothy Alexander, born about eight, nine days ago, I think, last week. So congratulations to them. Congratulations also to Jeff and Brenda Kievers. They're youngest daughter, Tamara, you probably have heard this because this happened a long time ago, is engaged to Tim. So congratulations to Tamara. She's down at Kids Church. So she'll have to replace herself, obviously. Uh, time to come. Um, and so now you guys are going to be empty nesters. Oh, welcome to the family. <laughs> and Tamara is Selwyn's granddaughter, of course, and niece and to lots of other members, part of, part of our church. And Selwyn and Hazel's granddaughter, that's right. I think that's all the announcements I have to give or draw your attention to. Let me pray. Thanks, Heavenly Father, for the opportunity to be together. Thank you for your word, for this story. Though familiar, Lord, to many of us, could you help us to have an insight and to learn things, particularly what you want us to be becoming or doing as we follow the Lord Jesus? Thank you for your word and for your spirit and for each other. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're up to chapter 29 of the book of Genesis. And I said last week, I think we were going to try and work through Jacob and Joseph. I think we might give up on that and just do J Jacob. And then we'll come back and do Joseph. You know, we'll see. See how far we get today. If I get through two chapters today, then maybe we will get to Joseph. But I'm not hopeful. Chapter 28 is a significant chapter. Pastor David spoke about that last week. When Jacob was at Bethel, he had a vision. Remember, he took a stone and he put that down to be a pillar for him. One of the reasons why he took a stone to put it down for a pillow for him is because, ironically, 
even though he had swindled or tricked Esau out of his inheritance and even though he had deceived his father and he had done what his mother had suggested that he do, he didn't get any of the blessing because he left home because his brother was furious with him and was going to kill him. So when he left, he took his staff and the clothes on his back and, le- and went. So when he got to Bethel, he doesn't have any other sheep, he doesn't have any other donkeys or camels, he doesn't have any other change of clothes or anything like that. He is penniless. And so he takes a stone and he lies on it. And what's interesting in this experience in 28, it's his actual encounter with God personally for the first time in his life. And even in that passage, God introduces himself. There's a vision of this stairway or ladder and angels ascending and descending and the Lord is at the top of that. And the Lord speaks to him and God defines himself as or identifies himself as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. Not yet, but to be and the God of Jacob. But up until this point, he's the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. And then God makes some wonderful promises to Jacob and says, basically, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. You'll get married and have sons. And that through your sons, all the nations of the world will be blessed through one particular descendant, Jesus. Um, so I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you till I've fulfilled all of these promises. Um, and so Jacob is assured of God's protection and off he goes and he ends up doing this 800 kilometer journey or thereabouts and he's heading north and he gets to the place of Haran which is where his mum came from and as you read in this story then Rebecca and Laban he's a character and a half are brother and sister so he arrives and in the providence of God comes to a well Often in the scriptures, not often, several times in the scriptures, you have biblical characters coming to a well. A well in the ancient world was a meeting place where people would often gather to, for the purpose of watering their sheep or flocks or whatever, but also they would socialise together. Um, so this is what Jacob does. He arrives at uh, this well in Haran and has a chance conversation. Do you blokes know Laban? Yeah, 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 we know him. Is he well? Yeah, he is. We know him, and in fact, here comes his daughter. I like to pronounce it as Raquel, because she's a 10. (laughs) Now you're showing your age. Her name is Rachel. And he sees her. Now, he obviously has a pretty good eyesight, because when he sees her, the Bible describes her as being not only beautiful to look at, but very nicely shaped. She's a 10. Could translate the Hebrew, I'm quite sure, as Rhonda. <laughs> I wonder if she's here. I wonder if she, that was wasted. Anyway. <clears throat> and so then, uh, Jacob, the schemer, though he's encountered God, there is still a little bit of manipulation in him because he says to these shepherds who are there with their flocks, The sun's still high, guys. Why don't you water your sheep and, you know, clear out and uh, get back to work? You know, there's still time to eat. And then while he's still speaking, Raquel. Rachel turns up. What he's trying to do is to get rid of them so he can have, you know, time alone with her himself because he's infatuated. He's head over heels. It's love at first sight for him. And then he immediately goes to work like any full-blooded male. He suddenly walks over to the well, moves the stone off it, walks back to her like a strutting peacock. 
He's demonstrating strength and leadership and confidence. He's trying to impress her. And then he bursts into tears. He bursts into tears because he's been through a pretty traumatic sort of experience over the last few days, few weeks. He's left home. He's travelled dangerously through treacherous territory. Um, and suddenly, just in the providence of God, he happens to come to the right place and he's either overwhelmed, there's a sense of grief, but also very great excitement and joy. That he just happened to come to this place and it just happened to be these people knew Laban and she just happens to come out at the right time to, while he's there. And it's just this whole circumstances, these chance meetings, which is not chance at all. While there are accidents that do happen in our world and in our lives, Behind all that is going on is divine providence, is God's divine appointments. Now, I'm not wanting to say that everything that happens is God has orchestrated and God has made it happen. I don't want to say that. But I do want to say that God is, does arrange some things deliberately and other things where things go wrong, he can redirect. He's at work for our good and to achieve his purposes. And certainly that was Jacob's experience um, and then she, him having identified himself as, you know, I'm the son of, you, I'm your cousin. And he gives her a kiss, kissing cousins. And so then she runs back to Laban, her dad. And Laban does what he did back in Genesis 24 when Abraham's servant was there. Medieval commentary actually says, Laban came running. Men don't run. Not in the ancient world. He came running. Why? Medieval commentator said, because he didn't want Jacob to get away. Laban is the same character as you have back in Genesis 24. When he saw the bangles and the necklace and the jewellery that was on Rebecca when she came home, he realised this is from a very wealthy family. And when he gets there, there's Jacob. He doesn't have any camels and he has no servants and he has no bags. He's got nothing. He's got a staff. And so then what does Laban do? He embraces him. That's not just a family greeting. The medieval commentator says he embraces him and he's feeling him. Has he got a money built on? <laughs> this is Laban. And then he says, uh, you know, you must come with me and stay with me and... Jacob stays there a month and actually while he's staying there for the month, the passage says to us that Jacob is actually working, shepherding, doing something that he becomes familiar with and very good at in the providence of God. And all the time, of course, he's doing that with Rachel. She's the shepherdess. She's the one in charge of the sheep. He's working with her. And Laban, after a month, says to Jacob, listen, it's not right that you work for me for nothing. What do you think would be a fair wage? What would you like to earn? Jacob, who is penniless, doesn't have any money for a dowry price to pay for his future wife that he wants to do, says, I'll work for you for seven years and use those seven years, all of that work, as payment, as my dowry for Rachel, whom I want to marry at the end of those seven years. Laban agrees. Laban doesn't tell him anything about oh, we have a custom, the older one must go first or anything like that. This is verse 19. He says, oh, yeah, well, you're as good as anybody else and list your family and I don't want her to marry somebody else. And... But he doesn't tell him the whole truth. In verse 26, he will actually indicate to him. He's either lying about that or he now reveals what should have happened. 
Jacob puts in the time, serves. Time seems to him to just go like that. That's an indication of his love and attraction for Rachel. He was head over heels for her. When I met Rhonda and she fell deeply, madly, passionately in love with me, I proposed and we had a 16-month engagement and it felt like seven years. My advice to all young people now is if you get married, not everybody gets married, uh, that's true. Most people do, um, but it's not God's will for everybody to get married. But anyway, I advise people, Tamara, don't have a long engagement. Get, you've decided to get married, get married. You mean, you've got to be reasonable and sensible. You've got to pick a dress, get a cake, get him into shape, some sort of shape, pick the menu, think about the honeymoon. When you've done all of those sorts of things, get married. Otherwise, it becomes too hard. Physical attraction and temptations kick in and it's too easy to fall. Anyway, here is Jacob. Seven years he puts in and then you know the story. And then it comes time for the feast. He was counting, by the way, because he goes to Laban and says, my time's up. Seven years have passed. And so he goes to Jake, uh, Laban and says, let's have the wedding. Laban agrees to do that. They order a cake. They select the menu. She gets a beautiful dress. They have the reception. And then on the night, probably the first, the beginning of the week, it goes for a week, this festive wedding celebration. There is a ceremony on the first day and then they sleep together that night for the first time. And the rest of the week, they are treated like a king and queen. They're treated as royalty. They're spoiled. That's how the ancient did it in the ancient world. And so here is Jacob, who put in seven years for Rachel. And when he gets to the tent that night, to the bed that night, the bridal chamber, and he sleeps with her, when he wakes up in the morning, lo and behold, it's not Rachel, it's Leah. And everybody goes, poor Jacob. What about poor Leah? And I got some questions. The passage doesn't tell us a lot about it. How could he not know? <laughs> Spent seven years. Surely he got to know Leah a little bit and he got to know Rachel. He must have. Well, the most common answer is that the word for feast also has associated with it the idea of heavy drinking. And that's been the common answer for you know, hundreds of years. It was dark in the bridal chamber. When Jacob tricked Isaac, Isaac was blind. He was in the dark. What Jacob did to his father is now coming back at him. What Jacob did to Esau was, he said, tricked him out of thinking he was the firstborn when really he was the youngest. What happened to Jacob? He wanted the second, he wanted the youngest, but he got the firstborn. Is this the law of sowing and reaping working its way out in the providence of God? God forgives us for our sin, but in the government of God, the providence of God, the consequences for our sin will sometimes still work their way out into our life and circumstances. Laban is a crook. I do have some questions just to think this through a little bit more. We, I don't have answers. Um, we do know that women in that time were far more secluded. They were kept away from society a little bit more. There was no dating services or anything like that and most marriages were simply arranged. The daughters, Leah and Rachel, they did as their father said. 
That's that point. Daughters should obey their fathers. Everybody say amen. You bunch of wusses. <laughs> Law of so reaping and sowing people. Um, as I said, Jacob must have known them pretty well. So why was he so easily deceived? Dark. Maybe she was veiled, you know, completely head to toe. Just like Rebecca when she met Isaac in the field. She was covered head to toe, maybe. Um, but as I said, maybe he'd eaten too much, drunk too much. Don't know. How come he didn't recognise her voice? Maybe she didn't speak. <laughs> or she whispered. Was Leah a willing partner, an accomplice in this subterfuge? Was she forced to obey her dad? Or she do it willingly? Was she relieved to be married at last? And was she hopeful of winning his love? That certainly comes out in the next few chapters, that she was really hoping to win him over. Where was Rachel during all of this? It's weird, it's horrible. Poor Jacob, poor Leah. Rachel turns out all right, because she does get married at the end of that first week. And then he has another week, so he has two weeks of celebrating. And then it's back to work for him. Maybe Leah borrowed some of her clothes. Maybe she mimicked some of her mannerisms. If so, that is definitely payback on Jacob, because that's exactly what he did. Laban has landed on his feet. He's married off his two daughters. He's got another seven-year contract with Jacob, and that's going to turn into, in fact, another 13 years. Jacob, interestingly, while curious, doesn't rebuke Leah, but rebukes Laban. And surprisingly, Jacob is accepting of it because he really did want to marry Rachel. So he was prepared to accept this deal. And he ends up with two wives and then eventually two concubines, their assistants, and then he has a whole lot of trouble coming at him in the future. Married, locked in for 14 years, and now he's going to start having children. The end of chapter 29, we have a few more minutes. At the end of 29, they start having children. The man who grew up in a divided home, Jacob, and a competitive home for that matter, in fact, is now going to create a divided and competitive home. His two wives, Leah and Rachel, are very competitive. The Bible describes Leah as having weak eyes. There's something about her eyes. We don't know what it was. So weak is the common translation. Is it soft, as in soft colour? Did she have like blue eyes and Rachel had brown eyes like many Middle Eastern women? Is it that? Or are they weak eyes in terms of poor vision? She had to squint a lot to see. and Is that what made her unattractive to look at, maybe? But Rachel, on the other hand, is, you know, drop-dead gorgeous. So here is Leah, the older one, growing up envious of the younger one. And the younger one always seems to be landing on her feet. And even here in this marriage, she is the favourite one. In verse 30, it says, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Not that he didn't love Leah, but he loved Rachel more. And then it's Leah, God looking on this situation, and God blesses Leah with having four children, four sons. 
and Rachel has none in chapter 29. And the first son that Leah has, she says, surely now my husband will love me. She hopes that by having kids, she'll win his affection, win his attention, win his love. Didn't work. In verse 33, her second son, the Lord has heard how I am hated. She felt hated. Not hated as in, I'm so angry at you, I could kill you, but hated compared to, I'm not as loved as much as her. And it was a terrible story, an experience for her. In verse 34, she has a third son. Now, this time, he will come and join me. He will join with me. But in fact, Jacob was getting further and further away from Leah. And Jacob certainly is a man who is under authority. He does exactly what the women in his life tell him to do. He's henpecked by his wives. He was bossed around by his mum. And here is this man that God has in grace chosen, but who is in for a terrible time. When you get into chapter 30, you find some really weird stuff. You find uh, Leah's eldest son, Reuben, going out and finding these plants called mandrakes. Not ducks, but it's a plant. It's called a love apple. And the belief in that time was that they were... Uh, they would make you increase your sexual desire as well as make you more fertile. And so when Rachel sees that Leah has got those, she says, can I have those? Leah says, is it enough that you've taken my husband away from me? Now you want these as well? Just listen to the irony of that. Leah says to Rachel, is it, isn't it enough that you've taken my husband away from me? She took her husband away from her when she went into the tent. She was the one who deceived her. Anyway, Leah says, all right, you can have it, provided I can have my husband for one night. She hires him. She rents him. Jacob comes in from the field, having been out there with his sheep or crops or whatever for that day. And when he comes in, Leah meets him and says, you have to come to my tent tonight because I have hired you. What does he do? Goes to Leah's tent. He's a man under authority. And then, of course, it's not um, the mandrakes that do it. It's not black cats and broken mirrors and walking under ladders are not the one things that have power in our world. God is the one who is at work, and he works his circumstances out. In verse 22 of this chapter, it clearly tells us that God acted. And eventually, Rachel will become pregnant, and she will have a son. Calls him Joseph. Child number 11, son number 11, sorry. Because there are our daughters, plural. We are told the name of one to Leah, but there are other daughters and granddaughters that Jacob will have. But when Rachel has her firstborn, she calls him Joseph, which means added. And what she's really saying is, can I have another one? I want more. Because she's competing with Leah. And she actually uses those words, I have wrestled with my sister and now I am prevailing, I'm winning. Leah's got six sons, she's got one son. It had become a real competition between these two wives. And then Jacob says, well, it's time to go home. This is uh, chapter 30, verse 25 and following. When he says that, he talks to his wives, it said, uh, you know, we've been away from home for a whole lot now. And they say, interestingly, that uh, in 31 verse 15, Rachel and Leah both felt that their dad had sold them 
And now they felt like they were outsiders to him. There had become this real division in the family. But God had appeared to Jacob in a dream, if you read chapter 31. And Jacob, uh, the, in the dream, God points out to him, notice when the sheep and the goats are reproducing, notice it's the ones that are spotted or with streaks or who are dark-wooled. Notice they're the ones that are reproducing. And so, Laban, I've got to go. I've been here for 14 years, time's up, I need to go. doesn't have anything. He's got 11 sons and two wives and two concubines, but he doesn't have anything of his own. He's penniless. He's broke. Chapter 31, verse 30, I think it says that. He has arrived, he's got nothing. He's back to square one. Now he just has a family. And Laban says, doesn't want to lose him. He says, listen, I am aware... And Laban's not a believer. I am aware that God has blessed me because of you. There's a whole message in that truth that non-Christians are watching us and they're aware of God's blessing through God's people to them. What can I do to keep you? And Laban, uh, Jacob says, well, don't pay me, but I tell you what, let's do it in terms of what I'm good at, in terms of managing your sheep and your goats. And Jacob deliberately picks the what Laban thought were the little ones, the rare ones, the ones that are spotted or speckled or dark-wooled. But Jacob's doing it because of the dream, that Laban doesn't know that. And so Laban agrees, you know, that over a period of time, whenever these things reproduce, if they're speckled, speckled or dark, you get those, Jacob, and I'll have the pure ones. I'll have the white ones, the clean-coloured ones, whatever. And then the passage says to us that after they agreed, Laban the cheater, the con artist, goes to his sons and goes to the, crop, uh, the flocks and he takes the spotted ones, the streaked ones and the dark ones and gives them to his sons, takes them out of the flock, it removes them, puts them a three-day journey away from the pure-wooled ones. And then says to Jacob, here, there's the flock, you look after them. So he's trying to reduce the odds. And Jacob does something weird, which I don't understand, but... Anyway, in his mind, he peeled some branches and he used to put those rods into the feeding trough. And so when the goats came to get a drink of water, which is where they were also mating and reproducing, they would see the streaks and that would produce babies with streaks on them. So he thought. But it's not that, is it? No, it's God at work. God is the one controlling the DNA and the genetic structures and things. And what happens through the process of time over the next six years, Jacob's, all of the, the goats and sheep that are reproducing, they're producing spotted ones and streaked ones and dark-wooled ones and Jacob's wealth has grown and Laban's has reduced. Under the providence and the goodness of God, God prospered Jacob as he promised. And then, next week, they leave and they head for home. Let me wrap this up by making some application comments. What we need to do as we read through that story and reflect on it is recognise and submit to God's sovereign hand in the ordinary daily events of our life. God is at work in our world. He's working his purposes out, not just in the big crises, but also in the little irritations of life. God is aware and he is at work. Car trouble, sick children, interruptions to your schedule, God is at work. 
And he looks for us to be growing, just like God took these 20 years to grow Jacob. So God's going to take time to grow us through life's circumstances, through consequences of the decisions we make, and through difficult people. God will grow us, help us to become the people, just like the Lord Jesus, like him. So submit to God's sovereign hand in whatever's going on in your life. We should also accept, acknowledge, and submit to God when we bear the consequences of our own sin. Not justifying it, not excusing it, not blaming God for it. In this story, you don't read about Jacob praying. You don't read about Jacob giving thanks to God for all of the things that he's got. Which made me reflect that we ought to be a people who do thank God for all of the blessings that he gives us despite our sin. And then I guess finally associated with this, how could Jacob, this cheating, deceitful con artist, chosen by God, loved by God, blessed by God, in God's chosen line? And then it reminds that's what we're like too. That we're no better than Jacob. We may not be as bad as him in some things, but we're just as flawed, just as sinful. And God in grace has blessed us, chosen us, is working in our lives and through us. We ought to be a grateful, humble people. And that God blessed Jacob, not for Jacob's sake. God blessed Jacob so that through Jacob and the blessing, he would bless others. That's important to get. God has blessed you, not just for you, but that through you, you might be able to bless others. God has equipped you and enabled you in order that he might work through you as a channel of blessing to others. We need to think about that. Prosperity comes from God. We need to think about our giving and our serving. I'm not saying this to judge or condemn, but I am challenging us that we need to re- consider that God is the God who is at work. Finally, let me say this. I don't think I said it at the beginning. If I did, forgive me. At Bethel, when God met Jacob for that first time, the vision and then God's voice and then his response was one of, you are my God and I'll serve you and he's going to promise to pay a tenth of all that he gives. God never mentions his sin. God doesn't say to Jacob, you tricked your father. You swindled your brother. Doesn't raise it. Just talks to him not about his past, but about his future. Doesn't talk about his failure. Talks about his God's plan for him into the future. Which then reminded me of this truth. We've had communion this morning and 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 says, if we walk in the light, as he, Jesus, is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. What sin is that referring to? The sin that we are either not conscious of or the sin that God is overlooking in our life. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's what God did in Jacob's life. And that same God is at work in our life. Let's learn some of these lessons together and respond accordingly. Let's pray. Thanks, Lord, for this story. Thank you for these truths. Help us to continue to process them.
and to understand the implication of it for us. Lord, deliver us from being hearers of the word only and turn us into doers, practitioners. To the honour and glory of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.